you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grosso. Tonight on Fast, an earnings extravaganza. We'll dig into the numbers from Tesla, Microsoft, and much more. Find out where these stocks are going from here. Plus, the Dow closing above 27K for the first time since June 9th. The Bank of America's Civita Subramanian says market rally may be on pause. We'll find out why. And a company you may never have heard of soaring 50% in its market debut. So how big is investor appetite for IPOs? We'll get some answers here. But we got to start off with Tesla, the electric car maker, jumping in the after-hours session off of its earnings report despite the staggering run into this report. Let's go straight to Phil LeBeau in Chicago with all the details. Phil. Hey, Melissa, beat on the top on the bottom line, and the beat on the bottom line is significant. Let's run through some of these numbers. Much better than expected earnings per share. And yes, it's a fourth straight profitable quarter for Tesla. $2.18 is how much it earned in the second quarter. The street was expecting just $0.03 profit for the quarter. Revenue better than expected at just over $6 billion. And as I mentioned, a fourth straight profitable quarter for Tesla. We know the significance of that. It is the last hurdle the company needed to clear in order to be included in the S&P 500. Let's drill down some numbers within the report that are going to get some attention. Operating cash flow, $418 million. Automotive revenue was actually down. It declined by 3.4% in the quarter. Not a surprise given the fact that you had the Fremont factory shut down for five or six weeks. But the automotive regulatory credits revenue, that's where they made it up. That was up $317 million. Now, Model Y production, overall it is increasing. Remember, they're building that out at the Fremont plant. China-made Model 3 production, it is also increasing, and that is an area of growth for the company. In terms of the next Gigafactory, they're teasing us. We'll learn more perhaps during the conference call coming up in about 25 minutes. They say that they have selected a site for that second factory here in the United States. They've begun preparations for that site, but they're not going to tell us what the location is. Is it Austin? Is it Tulsa? Perhaps we'll get more clues in about a half hour. And finally, Tesla is reaffirming its 2020 delivery target of delivering at least a half million vehicles this year. There was some question because they did not specifically reaffirm it during the last earnings call. They have done that today. So, guys, overall, if you are a Tesla bull, there's a lot to like in this report. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. Um, Steve Grasso, I'll go to you, your take on, on these numbers, because we have seen so many times, even if a company delivers and beats, uh, it's a sell on the news sort of event. But yet here we are with the shares up by almost 5 percent. I think the most important thing is what Phil said, the fourth consecutive quarter of profitability. That's what everyone was focused in on. The door is open and remains open for the S&P ad. I think that's what people are looking at. When you look at the stock, it's overbought. But it runs overbought quite often. And it works off an overbought, which means uh, a relative strength index reading of higher than 70. It's at 72 currently. That is nothing for Tesla to be working off right now. So I would say deliveries, I wouldn't worry about them. I wouldn't worry about anything until you get to that level where they're either... Uh, included in the S&P index, uh-huh. 
I think, I think that you have to be a buyer of this stock. You're going to see them try to raise some cash here, some raise some capital here. This, this price is unbelievable. It's already run over every short that's out there. Short interest went from 30 down to nothing. So I would think that the S&P is going to be your ability to say, right. let me short the news at that yeah. point. But right. until then, the stock is higher. I mean, part of this is, is, is technical, right, in, in terms of this move, Tim. I mean, knowing that there could be inclusion around the corner, there's probably some buying. I mean, a four yeah. and a half trillion assets, dollars in assets are, are indexed to the S&P 500, either directly or indirectly. There's some advanced buying of this stock. And then you also have the short interest, as, as Stephen mentioned, five-year lows of short interest in the stock, which is about 10% right now. So, uh, you know, that, that has come yeah. qu- down quite a bit over the past few months. Yeah, and I don't think it's zero, but I think Steve's point is that it's gone from being uh, one of the things you talked about with the stock. Maybe it's something you talk about with the stock now because uh, the short interest was uh, part of the reason you've had this stratospheric move. Um, the two things that I think are the most important numbers or, or the things you focus on are, first of all, uh, an additional $500 million in cash and now $8.6 billion in cash on the balance sheet. So at what point this was a very big issue, it was an issue I focused on. It's not an issue. Uh, and will they go out and they raise here? You know, I think it would make sense. I, I think they should be raising as much as they can. The other thing I would focus on, though, are lower ASP prices. I mean, they're, they're, they're not getting as much for their cars. They had lower services revenues. So two quarters in a row and then back to the reg credits, were they really profitable? So if, if you look at the numbers, um, and I don't, you know, look, a company can do whatever they want uh, and report within the context of U.S. gap. And, and yes, it's important that they got four straight quarters of profitability for this now, I, I think, overemphasized S&P story. So I, I think um, the company uh, seems to take the good news. I don't mean the company, I mean the market. The market, mm-hmm. uh, certainly from the bulls case, uh, deliveries over 500,000 reaffirmed, um, and yet it's really really never supposed to be about the short term for this company because there's no way it could be if you look at this valuation. So we've had upgrades over the last month and they've included for every reason as related to their technology, uh, their miles driven, their software and the gross margins in it. But most importantly, what a move after the market, after this move in the stock. It's hard to argue with that. Regulatory credits, let's be clear, they're up 286 percent year on year to $428 million of $5.2 billion in revenue. So even though it did jump, um, that, what, that's not the reason why the stock is uh, you know, not up more. Let's get more on Tesla's quarter. Let's bring in Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Gene, um, welcome back. Of course, I want to get your take on this quarter. You know, everyone was focused on that uh, S&P 500, but I don't think that's the real story. The reason and the way that they got there is actually sustainable. Those tax credits are coming from other automotive companies that simply don't have an ability to make EVs fast enough. And so I think that's the real takeaway here is that this is not about just getting the S&P 500. This is about a company that is laying the uh, framework for uh, predictability around profitability. Hard to even imagine I'm saying that we're talking about the Tesla story, but I think that's ultimately what's driving the stock higher in after hours. Karen, you got a question? I do. Gene, um, what about the free cash flow, which obviously was a big um, surprise to the upside, but I'm wondering how much of that is sort of working capital adjustments that could end up turning around once production is back up and they are paying full payroll. How do you think about that number? I think it's going to be sustainable. I think they're getting some efficiencies out of Shanghai that's, that's ultimately driving that. So just taking a step back, the free cash flow is the second big part of the story. 
very impressive and think it is sustainable. In terms of the lower uh, average selling price of the vehicles, Gene, I mean, is that mainly because of the Model 3 or is it also because of the price cuts that we've seen uh, in some of the models either in China or here in the United States? Model 3 and Model Y, too. Mm -hmm. I think Model Y probably was um, up to 15,000 units, so it was 5,000 last quarter. Okay. Do you think that we've seen the last of the price cuts? No, what they're doing is really driving efficiencies and driving lower price to ultimately drive market share. And I think that's going to be the piece that's going to surprise investors over the next several quarters. Okay. And, and Gene, just quickly on the, on the conference call, if you could, what question would you have for Elon Musk? Uh, it's really all about what's beyond cars. I think the energy aspect is a underappreciated part of the story. So I think we're going to hear a lot more about that on the call. All right, Gene, we'll let you go. We'll check in with you a little bit later on, Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Uh, Dan Nathan, how do you think about Tesla at this point? Because we do see follow through after the report in this run. Yeah, well, I think like you guys have just said, it just confirms the fact that a $300 billion market cap company that's not in the S&P 500, it would be the 10th largest company or so in the S&P 500 is going in. But, you know, when people talk about how many trillions are indexed to the S&P 500, this is not going to be, you know, a massive buy. Maybe it's, you know, 10, 20, 30 billion dollars. There's, there's people who are going to come out pretty clearly with the calculation. So at this point, some of those fund um, institutions have probably been buying the stock ahead of time, which has helped this story a little bit. Listen, you know, this has been a very volatile company on the earnings front. They obviously were gearing towards um, the S&P ad, but also there were some other uh, milestones where some executives got really paid. And so I'm not telling you that this company is not doing a good job executing. It sounds like they did a great job executing in what which should have been a lights out quarter as far as demand, but it didn't happen that way. So, you know, listen, Steve said you got to buy it. I think he's kind of talking like a trader here. He's saying I wouldn't sell it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's a very expensive story. Everyone was poo-pooing the auto thing. And now it's an auto company. Uh, but the forward story is going to be about autonomy and it's going to be about software. So to me, the story keeps changing. You know, at the end of the day, there is going to be some very sizable competition in the next year or two in the high end where these guys play. And I would even add the Model 3 as the high end at that price point. Without those credits, you know, when they're going down, it's probably a $40,000 car. That's not exactly a low-end car. All right. Um, again, the stock is up uh, five and three quarters percent. The conference call will be underway in 20 minutes and we'll uh, circle back to Tesla then. Let's turn meantime to another big after hours movers. That's Microsoft dropping despite a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Josh Lipton's got more on the quarter and why the stock is lower. Josh. So, Melissa, I checked in with Kirk Matern over at Evercore. Uh, his bottom line here, Kirk says, solid results against elevated expectations. Of course, heading into this print, Microsoft was up about 30% year to date. Commercial cloud revenue growth of 32%, he says, speaks to strength in the cloud. Azure growth of 50%, constant currency against a tough comp. Both the street, though, could have been expecting better, Kirk says, which could explain at least some of the weakness here we're seeing in the after hours. His question on the call, how are LinkedIn and Office franchises? franchises set up for Q1. If you look at the print itself, really interesting puts and takes here due to the COVID-19 impact. So they say 
Cloud usage and demand increasing as more of us are working and learning from home, but transactional license purchasing continues to slow. In other words, as small and medium-sized businesses come under pressure, Microsoft seeing some slowing there in one-time software purchases. LinkedIn revenue increased 10%, but they say it was negatively impacted by a weak job market. Same goes for search adver- advertising revenue there. X uh, traffic acquisition cost decreased 18%. They said its search was negatively impacted by those reductions in advertising spend. On the other hand, Windows OEM revenue, so Windows licenses to device makers, up 7% in the quarter. This call starts at 5.30 Eastern, at which point you'd expect CFO Amy Hood to give guidance. Guys, back to you. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton. Again, this is a stock that had also a nice run going into the earnings report, but it did have a couple of misses in key line items that investors were closely watching. Josh keyed in on one of them, and that would be Azure. Azure came in below consensus. Let's be clear on that. Also, uh, the business process segment shy of consensus uh, revenues. Operating margin was also below consensus. That This, according to Brent Thill over at Jefferies. Uh, so, Karen, where do we go with this stock here? Down 2% after hours. Well, given that it's had an enormous run and that they didn't sort of knock the lights out on every single category, I think it's actually hanging in there pretty well. Um, it, I, I thought it was a really good quarter. It had to be a really good quarter, but I guess, you know, it wasn't quite enough. So down this much is really, I don't think, a big deal. I'll be interested to see how analysts look at it tomorrow, whether, they're, whether they've changed their outlook at all. I mean, the stock got expensive at 30-some-odd times. I'm long. I'm sort of thinking, all right, I'm going to hang on to it. It's do- if it's going to trade down a little bit, I probably won't buy more. It will have to trade down significantly for me to think, all right, I want to have a bigger position at this price. I'm still very optimistic on cloud. And uh, you know, the- I come back to it again and again. I don't have a better place to put the money. Dan. Yeah, you know, I think you nailed it, Mel, with the Azure last Q4 last year, they had 64% year-over-year growth. So 47% this year, 50% constant currency. Sounds like a pretty reasonable deceleration. And I think it decelerated from um, the Q3 last quarter that was in the 50s, high 50%. So, you know, expectations just got really high. I I saw a lot of notes from a lot of people on the street today talking about how the whisper number for Azure got up to about mid-50s percent gains. And that's just telling you that people are getting a little nervous relative to consensus. So I'm with Karen, the fact that it's only down 2%. And listen, if you're a bull and you want to look past what's going to be a really rocky second half of this year as it relates to enterprise spending, then you're saying to yourself, I want to see some of these stories come down. What did Karen just say? It's trading 30 times next year's earnings. That is like an all-time high for Microsoft for at least going back 20 years. So, you know, the opportunity to buy some of these stocks on a pullback would be very nice for a lot of people who really buy into this story that a lot of this kind of acceleration of some these trends that were pre-COVID, they're going to exi- exist afterwards, but they just can't go. You know, Microsoft not going to go from 200 to 300 in a straight line, right? So you're going to have to have an opportunity to buy it at some place. I think 190-ish, the breakout level from mid-June would be an ideal place to reload in this name. I mean, this stock traded as if it were COVID-proof. Um, we see productivity and business processes revenue coming in short, and you think, what is the exposure of Microsoft to small and medium-sized enterprises um, as we go into pot- a potentially tough period for the economy, Steve? If you, if you think the economy is all right, I guess you think Microsoft is all right. But if you think the economy is going to hit a speed bump, you might think Microsoft could also feel some impact from that. I See, I, I look at it actually the opposite way. If you think the economy is okay, I think people are going to start to rotate 
into value. So for me, I've had a pretty good run in this one. I actually sold all of my Microsoft last week at the end of last week. I sold all of my Apple as well because tech versus value. So for me, you're right, it is the Azure, it is gaming, it is intelligent cloud, it's regular cloud, but this was priced per, per, uh, for perfection. I hate that saying, but it was. I took my chips and I put them elsewhere for now. Do you own any big cap tech at this point, Steve? No, I'm out, I'm out of all big cap tech. I put my bets basically um, in a lot of these high beta switches, um, uh, Virgin Galactic, Sonos, and a lot of value plays right now. I'm out of tech completely. Wow. All right. Uh, let's get to the other big market driver here, the race for a coronavirus vaccine, a $2 billion deal from the Trump administration sending two stocks soaring today. Meg Terrell joins us with the details. Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, that deal is with Pfizer and BioNTech, its German biotech partner, to secure 100 million doses of their COVID-19 vaccine. If it's successful, it has to get through those phase three trials and get FDA approval in order for this contract to be struck. But $1.95 billion uh, would secure those 100 million doses. There's also an option to acquire an extra 500 million doses. Uh, and they say that this vaccine will be given for free to all Americans. Now, the companies say that they plan to start phase three trials this month. Uh, if all goes well, could be applying for regulatory approval in October and then be supplying 100 million doses globally by the end of the year. Uh, now, interestingly, Mel, this kind of gives us our first real price point in terms of what these vaccines may actually be priced at. Uh, and Leering using that to try to uh, make some calculations about their profitability for these companies. Uh, Jeff Porges uh, putting a note out today saying that at you know this $1.95 billion deal for 100 million doses, that's going to be 1995 a dose. Uh, of course, people will get two doses. Uh, he estimates the cost of goods sold for this will be in the low single-digit dollar range, so perhaps less than $5 a dose, which he estimates will yield a profit margin of about 60 to 80 percent. Now, I reached out to Pfizer about this. They did not comment on these specific projections, but they did note they are investing more than a billion dollars in the development and manufacture of this. Uh, and they told me, of course, that they are not getting any money from the government unless their vaccine gets through the approval process and has proven a high level of efficacy, guys. All right, Meg, thank you, Meg Terrell. So we've got Pfizer up 5%. Tim, and there you have it. The question that we've all been asking <laughs> is Pfizer or any of these big pharma companies or pharma companies or biotechs going to make anything on any of these vaccines and it looks like maybe Pfizer could it looks like they could but I, you know we, we they don't have they don't have a vaccine and, and so if you think about R&D and think about where we are and 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 listen to the CDC or whoever you want to listen to on this uh, you know where we may or may not be on a vaccine um, yes, I, I think this is potentially a, a driver, but what we've seen so far is uh, these announcements have changed being uh, spikes and catalysts for the stock to ultimately being uh, more market-related dynamics. I think Pfizer, I own Pfizer outright. I think you own Pfizer based upon it trading relatively cheap, about 15% to its five-year average, uh, a fantastic balance sheet, and they're in the hunt, and this is potentially a catalyst, but it's not why I go out and buy it. Uh, and, and I think this headline today is important to send the message that some of the best and the biggest drug companies in the world are hard at work and close uh, to at least having a deal in place with the government. Uh, but again, we don't know that it's going to be $20 and we don't know that the gross margin uh, on the underlying is going to be what it is. It's not a reason to go out and buy Pfizer today. So basically you like the stock and the vaccine is an option. 
Yes, absolutely. And, and I think uh, the market dynamics of all this are really that much more important. Uh, I, I wouldn't be playing. We've talked about whether you want to own biotech uh, or mega cap pharma, mm -hmm. uh, but why you would want to own both of those uh, in, in, with or without the vaccine. All right. Coming up, retail wreckage. Why one brokerage says it is time to ring the register and get out of a few names. And later, we're not done with earnings this hour. Chipotle Las Vegas Sands both on the move after reporting the results. Stick around for all the after hours action. Much more Fast Money in two. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Macy's and Kohl's getting hit hard in today's session after UBS flashed yet another warning sign for the retail space, downgrading both of these stocks to sell ratings. The analysts saying that investors can no longer rely on malls and department stores to drive growth, should instead focus on go-it-alone retailers. That includes names like Nike, Levi's, American Eagle, Skechers, PVH, which are focusing less on third-party retailers, more on direct-to-consumers. Um, so, Karen, I thought, you know, for Macy's, the UBS went down to a $3 price target. And what I thought was interesting out of that uh, call is they talk about the real estate, which had been sort of you know, a, a source of strength for the Macy's balance sheet. But they say it'll probably get levered up. And that just means that Macy's going to have a load of debt on its hands. Right. They have done that. They've been doing that for a few years now, trying to monetize the real estate. And um, I, they were sort of slow to make progress a couple of years ago. And I don't know right now what the value of that real estate is relative to where it was a few years ago. But the piece talks about also an acceleration of the decline of department stores that had started pre-COVID. And this just sort of, you know, sped it up. And so I've been concerned about Macy's for a really long time. I often talk about how look at the debt and they have a much, the debt investors have a much better sense of uh, the health of the company than equity often. And so if we look at, I think we have a, a bond two and seven eights uh, maturing in 2023. That's not that long from now. And the yield on this is really high, telling you there is a concern about whether or not this will be paid in full at maturity. Not that far from now, two and a half years. So I don't know if three bucks is the right number. I can't really argue with it. Um, but I, I think he's absolutely right to be skeptical and concerned about, actually, I don't know if he or she's skeptical and concerned about uh, Macy's and Kohl's. Similar story, a little, little bit better balance sheet for Kohl's. Yeah, and the Kohl's price target goes down to 14 bucks a share. So these are some pretty dramatic cuts in terms of uh, stock outlook, Steve. Um, part of the call also is that, you know, these department stores are using resources on their balance sheets uh, to deal with COVID. And they really need the, needed those resources to restructure their own businesses. You know, we've all talked about the fact that COVID just exacerbated whatever the situation was before going into this environment. So we all knew that Macy's was weak. We all knew that Kohl's was weak. But I just don't know what the risk reward is to make this call now. Seems a little bit late. Um, and with a over 50% short interest, one headline that's positive, and Macy's will rip higher, based nothing on fundamentals. This could just be anything to do without Macy's falling off the face of the earth into an abyss and this stock 
can move aggressively higher. So I don't know how great this call is. Dan, I think once upon a time, you made a call that Amazon could buy Kohl's. Could this be close to the moment with Kohl's being sort of distressed? Yeah, I don't know if that's the sort of brand that they want. If you think about the barbell approach that they're going to take, they're making their own ghost stores. They obviously bought Whole Foods as, as it relates to groceries. So maybe something on the apparel front, maybe Macy's would be a better one. They also mm. gives them the opportunity to have, um, you know, kind of storage, logistics facilities, that sort of thing. So I would fully expect Amazon to make another purchase. I don't think there would be um, big regulatory hurdles um, when you think about it, if they're especially going to save a lot of employees and save um, a company like Macy's. Um, I would also add one other name in retail that might have a tough time until there is a vaccine, and that might be TJ Maxx. I know that this is obviously a great company, one of my mom's favorite stores. I think one of your favorite stores, Mel. Yeah, I'm um, But this is a company... That, that is going to have a hard time going direct to consumer when you think about what their merchandise is in a way. But it is one of those ones, to Steve's point, that I think should pop and catch up and get back to those prior highs if there is more visibility on vaccines. All right. Coming up, JMF, JMF shares soar in its trading debut. But what the heck is it? <laughs> should you buy it, too? All the details straight ahead. But first, does this rally have more room to run? Bank of America's top strategist joins us next to break it down. Much more fast in just two. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I am cautious on markets over the next period of time, and uh, we we have today a, a you know a short position in a high yield index. Uh, we are bearish on highly levered companies to some extent. I view that as a, a hedge. I don't know whether we make money on it or not, uh, but the highly levered businesses will struggle because it's going to take time for the economy to reopen. That was Pershing Square CEO Bill Ackman on Squawk Box today on using high-yield debt as a hedge against the reopening trade, shorting it, I should add. This is stocks managed to edge higher for the day. Is Ackman right to be cautious? Um, actually, he said that he long-term, he is bullish America. He is long in the markets. He's long on a lot of the reopening trades um, that he bought pretty much close to the March lows. Uh, names like Hilton, uh, Lowe's, the the home improvement retailer, not the hotel, um, Lowe's, as well as Chipotle. He remains in, in some of those trades here, Tim. And I thought the hedge using a short on high yield was sort of interesting as well. Yeah, it's been interesting. You know, high yield, uh, because the government's professed defense of fallen angels and even some high yield and buying the ETFs that, that occupy the space has been interesting. But 
Look, Bill, Bill's uh, in broad brushstrokes uh, been pretty tactical in the middle of this and, and seems like he's been on the right side of the trade, uh, both on the way down and then buying uh, near the bottom, wh wherever he remains in some of those positions. I, I think the key is ultimately we are in, in a credit crisis, uh, whether the government is there to defend every balance sheet or not. So being cautious and having that as a hedge, I think, is fair. Um, you know, talking about those, a couple of those trades, I mean, Lowe's and Chipotle, for different reasons, uh, have been big winners because they either were in the right space, whether it's home improvement and nesting, and Lowe's spent three years to turn their business around and raise their gross margin and invest in their digital world, uh, whereas Chipotle, well before uh, COVID, was also investing in digital. And as we just learned today in their earnings, uh, that's 60 percent of their sales last quarter. So uh, what do you pay for those companies now is really the question, but they're trading rich. Uh, relative to themselves, but I, I don't see the market getting away from that. Yeah, Karen? Well, uh, I too am short some mm -hmm. high yield. I think, you know, I am long bag, so clearly any credit issues, any credit crises would be, um, this would be a hedge for that. I think that we're going to see more pain. I agree uh, with um, Tim that we've seen sort of the government put for a while, and I don't, I don't think it lasts forever. And I think there's just there's going to be bankruptcies. Even some of the this, you know the airline uh, debt isn't trading great at all. And so I think we're going to see more pressure on high yield. All right, our next guest uh, sees signs the rally may hit a pause. Let's bring in Savita Subramanian, head of U.S. Equity and Quantitative Strategy at Bank of America. Savita, great to have you with us. What's going to cause this pause in your view? Is it that we are stretched on valuation? Is it going to be fiscal stimulus not coming in uh, as strong as the market wants? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination, but but here's, I think the big risk is the idea that fiscal stimulus has been aggressive, Fed stimulus has been aggressive, um, reopening is starting to happen, but is, you know, fraught with, with risks of a second wave. And now, in order to really get through this, we need to see either continued momentum in that recovery story or if there is a stall, we just need more stimulus to keep this story going. Um, so I worry that, you know, if you think about it, we've seen as much stimulus over the last few months as we've seen throughout the entire last 10 years. Um, and we still haven't cleared the prior market high. So I, I, I think that those are the things we need to think about is what's kept this bull market going. It hasn't really been cyclicals recovering on optimism around uh, reopening, it's really been more about stimulus and liquidity looking for a home and finding it in FANG stocks. Mm -hmm. So you know what, the, the number one thing that worries me about the S&P 500 today, and this has really been a boon, is that almost half of it is technology. If you look at the tech sector, communication services, plus online and internet retail, um, that's almost 50% of the market is tech. So, you know, we really need more stimulus to keep this going. I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's probably a longer term positive because tech is the future. But, you know, one of the things I worry about is that if we do see a, a rotation towards some of the more beaten down cyclical areas of the market, what happens to tech? Is that used as a source of funds for getting long other areas of the market? So it's a little bit of, a, of an, an, an environment where good news could actually be bad news for the S&P 500 which is much more exposed to some of those secular growth and technology themes. Uh, in terms of technology, um, Savita, on top are, of that, sorry right. to interrupt, are these valuations stretched here? Because I see that on your screen or it comes up as number two. Uh, and so I'm wondering how that meshes with this notion that perhaps we're at a point where we, some valuations are, are high. 
Yeah, so valuation on tech right now, if you look at, I mean, if you just looked at a simple kind of growth versus value um, breakdown of the market, growth is actually trading and growth is, is basically tech and internet retail and, and some of the work from home beneficiaries. Um, these stocks are basically trading at higher multiples than what we saw during the tech bubble. Um, so on price to book, we're at, we're at levels of optimism on growth stocks that we haven't seen ever. And, and I think the question now is, how do you value these stocks in a zero interest rate, free money environment? And, and the, the, the talk that I hear around, we need a new valuation measure for tech companies, really reminds me of another period in time, late 99, early 2000, where you know, we were trying to, to value these companies on price to eyeballs, and then we all know what happened after that. So there's a lot of, there, I think there are risks to technology stocks. The things that keep it going are they still have good balance sheets, they still have better growth than most other parts of the market. But I think to one of the other um, commentators' points, if we see anything kind of even remotely positive around a reopening and a, and a cessation of this second wave risk, um, that could really bolster a lot of these dollar stocks in the market that are trading near bankruptcy levels, like the the, the traditional retailers, et cetera. Right. So that's what worries me a little bit about, about the S&P in, in particular. Tammy, you have a question? Yeah, hey, Sabita, thanks for joining us. I saw your notes and you talked a little bit about where the equity risk premium, no matter what, it makes this a very interesting time. So we're probably in excess of a dividend yield on the S&P, even after cuts of more than three times the tenure. Uh, how much do you think that that is supporting equity allocation right now? I think that is the number one reason that, that there's a bid on the market, is that it's got income. Everybody wants income. Income on the S&P is a whopping multiple, a, a close to a record high multiple of what you're getting in other fixed income assets. So as long as that continues, you know, maybe you continue to see inflows into stocks from bonds and other areas. Um, but, you know, again, think about it. We've had a period where uh, individual investors, hedge funds, institutional investors have moved capital into the market, were uh, close to all time highs. Um, yeah, the yield aspect is still a strong story. So I guess my advice to investors is look for companies that offer safe, sustainable yield that still provides a much higher level than, than what you're getting from traditional fixed income. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, I don't know if the market itself has a lot of room to move a lot higher from here. The other thing I worry about is, you know, we're at a point where the next three months historically have been have seen very significant pickups in volatility. So we're three months away from a presidential election. If you look at the VIX or realized volatility in the three months heading into a presidential election, usually you see about a 30% increase in the VIX, which as we all know is negatively correlated with the market. So another risk to equities from here is we're moving into this period where you've typically seen a demonstrable pickup in volatility. Not a lot of cheerful things to say right now about the market, sorry. Yeah, thanks, Savita. <laughs> no, but it's always good to see you. Thank you so much, Savita Subramanian of B of A. Um, Steve Grasso, you know, I'm glad that Savita mentioned this sort of seasonality, and I, I really don't like seasonality as a notion in general because I feel like people know what the seasonality is, and so people sort of front-run that seasonality. But muscle memory is that in the fall, bad things happen in the markets. And we have seen that time and time again. So we have that sort of, you know, underlying reaction to October, let's say. Uh, and then you have the presidential elections in November. Yeah, I think everyone's setting up for an extremely volatile. Yeah, 
you got to remember the economy is going to be starting up. You have schools that may or may not start. It's going to be extremely volatile. The biggest thing that the market has to worry about is large cap tech and tech. As she said, it's 50% of the market. If that rolls over, the market rolls. All right, coming up, jam. I mispronounced that before. It's just jam. It's not even, you're not pronouncing each individual letter. It sounds like, uh, I don't know, like you're grunting. But um, it's a lot of fun to say. What is it, though? Why are traders buying up this name and a friends? We've got the details next and later. Looking for some good intel. Stick around because we will dive into the options pits for a read on what is ahead for this chip stock. Fast Money back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Check. Out shares of Jamf soaring 50% in its market debut today. The company makes enterprise software for Apple devices. is one of those rare tech unicorns that's actually profitable. Karen, what are you? What are your thoughts about this? Well, I just learned about this company today, and actually watched their video to see what what they did. And I see why you know I see why people like it. Uh, that you know one that makes money that's something unusual right there but also the subscription model that's great i was sort of i'm wondering why wouldn't apple just buy them or maybe did they consider it i don't know but i mean congratulations to them i'm not buying it here yeah i mean it lives in this sort of like positive cross-section of of things related to apple and software in this market dan (laughs) Well, I'd say more importantly, reoccurring and, and then obviously the, um, the profitability. I mean, listen, you know, any private company right now in your tech and you have those kind of attributes, you should be looking to go public. There's lots of different ways. You can do it on the NASDAQ, the NYSE. You can do it through a SPAC. Um, you know, I, I mean, there's just you should go public. There seems to be tremendous demand for any sort of stock. You just tell any sort of story and your stock will go up. So have at it. Coming up, earnings season in full swing. We are taking a look at more after-hours movers. We'll break down what the quarter meant for Chipotle and Las Vegas Sands. Speaking of earnings, we'll get another look at Tesla with Gene Munster, who is listening in on that call. We just got a headline from the earnings call. The company has announced the location of its new gigafactory. That would be Austin, Texas. We'll get some more details straight ahead. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've gotten an earnings alert on two more after-hours movers, Chipotle and Las Vegas Sands, both lower on their earnings reports. Chipotle down despite beating at the top of the bottom line. Sands also down. COO Rob Goldstein saying on the earnings call, quote, we are in a world of hurt here. These are two reopening trades, of course, both lower. Uh, Chipotle, at least, Tim, you had mentioned this, uh, really doing well on the digital side of things. Uh, And uh, this has had a tremendous run. Yeah, digital sales were up 216% year over year for the quarter. Uh, they're now more than 60% of sales. Uh, the, the average ticket size is higher. The gross margin is moving higher. Um, and so is the valuation. Um, so uh, as one of those stocks, unfortunately, there's a few of these on this show where I talk about uh, not having been in the stock for any of this move and, in fact, being somewhat bearish on the multiple um, I, I, at some point, I, I just wonder, unless suddenly there's a greater share of the monthly pocketbook that's going to uh, fast casual, I, I think this is something that you should be fading this move. It's, it's priced to perfection. Uh, Grasso, in your swap of big tech for value slash reopening, are casinos in that basket? Yeah, they have to be in that basket. And I, and, and I go with... The one that's been the outperformer in a very down market has been Las Vegas, the one you just mentioned. And you know the way I stand on this. You get Macau, you get the U.S., and you also get Singapore uh, in that. For right or wrong reasons, you get another lever to pull. 
They are definitely names that will rally aggressively once we get uh, even halfway to the goal where we have to go. So I think they have to be in that bucket. All right. Meantime, in a world of hurt. Uh, by the way, be sure to catch Kate Rogers' exclusive interview with the Chipotle CEO, Brian Nickel. That's tomorrow on The Exchange on CNBC. Now let's get back to Tesla here. The company just announcing Austin as the location of its new gigafactory. Gene Munster's been listening in on the earnings call. Gene, what's new? Well, Austin's new, Melissa. I mean, this was largely expected, but really lays the groundwork for the company to ramp production. Recall that they reiterated that 500,000 vehicle target for 2020 and need to grow to 15 million vehicles over the next 10 years. At least that's Elon Musk's uh, target. So Austin is new, and they also expect to have three more factories in the next five years, which would bring them to six total factories. So when I think about this $300 billion market cap and think, how can this be a much bigger company? One is for them to scale into that, and there is some news around that in Austin. The second, I think, really critical piece here that's going to be largely ignored here is Elon Musk's first comment was about Austin. His second was about their solar business. This is nascent, called 5% of their overall revenue. But the fact that he is mentioning that I believe he's starting to educate the market about Tesla being much more than a car company. I pride myself on being level-headed and even keeled, and I don't want you to think that I have totally drank the Kool-Aid here, but I think that this company can take its existing technology around batteries, motors, and what they're doing in full self-driving, apply it more to the energy market, and create much more than a $300 billion market cap. Undoubtedly, it will be a wild ride with the stock, but this is, uh, I think, the start of what will be a multi-year uh, phase where Tesla educates the market about being more than a car company. Uh, quickly, Gene, your grade on the quarter is? A minus. You didn't drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> you would have given it an A. <laughs> um, a minus is pretty good, though. Yeah. All right, Gene, thanks. Gene Munster Thank of Loop Ventures. Um, Dan, you know, I think that's interesting. The second comment on the call is solar. I mean, uh, Elon Musk was widely criticized for buying SolarCity from his relative. Um, but now maybe the market sees the, the wisdom that could be behind that. Well, I mean, the market is starting to get really comfortable what maybe a blue wave looks like in the fall and what it means for infrastructure spending, specifically for green technology. So that might be something that's helping the valuation here. Um, listen, you know, I'll just say this, that, you know, there's a lot of people who have been very offsides on this. I think, um, you know, there's only eight buy ratings on Tesla as far as Wall Street analysts are concerned versus maybe 30 holds or sells. We've never seen anything like this. I don't think you're going to see a bunch of analysts come in tomorrow and upgrade this stock. But I think the last thing that people have going is the hope for this thing added to the S&P in the near term. All right. Coming up, Intel getting ready to report earnings. We'll tell you what options traders expect for this name. Plus, we're gearing up for a big night on Mad Money. Jim Cramer, Cramer sitting down with White House, excuse me, with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Catch that interview tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Much more fast straight ahead. Welcome back to Pass Money. Check out the SMH Semi ETF closing at a brand new all-time high today. Option traders are betting the space could break out into even bigger gains when Intel reports tomorrow. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. So we saw calls outpacing puts by about two to one on above average volume in Intel. And right now the options market is implying a move of about 5% higher or lower by the end of the week. That's slightly lower than the 5.5% that the stock has averaged over the last eight quarters. 
The most active opening activity that we saw in the weekly options that expire this coming Friday were the 61 strike calls. Those were trading for about a dollar and a half. So it could be that options traders are taking advantage of the lower than average options premiums to risk two and a half percent of the stock price that it could break out of the languishing performance that we've seen over the course of the last four to six weeks or so. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, tensions rising between China and the U.S. will get you the latest from Beijing and what it could mean for your money. Stick around and much more fast straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. A huge lineup of interviews. First thing tomorrow on Squawk Box, we'll be talking to American Airlines CEO Doug Parker, SEC Chair Jay Clayton, Social Capital CEO Chamath Palihapitiya, and Twitter CFO Ned Siegel on the back of earnings. That's all starting at 6 a.m. Eastern time. I will see you there. All right, we are just a few hours away from the market open in Asia after the latest escalation in tensions between the U.S. and China. Let's bring in CNBC's Eunice Yoon for the very latest. Morning, Eunice. Good morning, Melissa. Well, you know, Hong Kong investors were rattled uh, by the U.S.-China tensions. But here in the mainland, investors are going to get their first chance to react to those tensions this morning. Shanghai and Shenzhen were both closed when China confirmed that the U.S. had ordered it to close its consulate in Houston by Friday. Investors are likely going to be waiting to see whether or not China is going to retaliate, perhaps close one of the U.S. consulates, and uh, whether or not the U.S. would also uh, decide to reverse reverse the decision uh, for uh, what China has called a political provocation. Now, the State Department said that the closure protects American IP. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is going to be delivering a speech on Thursday on China, and investors are closely watching that. Now, despite the U.S.-China tensions, uh, investors are generally feeling more upbeat about the prospects for the Chinese markets. The Shanghai Index was revamped for the first time in 30 years, uh, adding 25 tech names from the Nasdaq-style starboard, dropping a bunch of riskier ones. Uh, there are a lot of people who say that more needs to be done, but the general direction is one, Melissa, that people like because for the most part, it means that the stock markets here are opening up more. And so it's a, an attempt to make um, this more lucrative for local investors and for uh, Chinese firms to be able to find a new place to list. All right, Eunice, thank you. Good to see you. Eunice Yoon in Beijing for us. Uh, Tim, Eunice brings up a good point. Even though China-U.S. relations have been deteriorating for some time, we have seen the Chinese stock market go higher, perhaps in part thanks to the Chinese government. Yeah, the Chinese government is doing the same thing that we're doing here uh, with a lower dollar with interest rates you know, at zero. This is a great environment for China and certainly also takes a lot of pressure off a Chinese property market. So um, I think the fact that they are restructuring an index. Remember, historically, some of those indices were bank heavy, China Construction Bank, Ping An, a lot of big life insurance companies. So this is excellent for, for just the performance of, of the market. Uh, I, don't, I think emerging markets continue to rally as long as rates stay low uh, and the dollar goes lower. Yep. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Dan Nathan. Yeah, QQQ. We're going to have Apple and Amazon next week. I think it's going to be a high for some period of time right now. I'm a seller of long puts. Mm. Chairwoman. Yeah, um, on the back of Chipotle, thinking about the growth in digital, who else? I think Starbucks. And so they report next week. And also, I, we're getting a look on, as they open around the world, how that's going, which Chipotle doesn't have. So Starbucks. Steve Grasso. 
Spirit Airlines, one I've been in for a while. This is one that's definitely tied to, obviously, the economy and value doing better and economies reopening. It's given you a lot of trading opportunities. It's trading right back down to that 50-day moving average, which is right about $16.20. I'd be a buyer here and look for a pop moving towards $20. Tim. Mal, liking Home Depot over Lowe's, so Home Depot's the trade going into their earnings about a month out. Mad Money starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.